Saturday, March the 26th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up, Russia's first mission quote accomplished, and Ukrainians retake ground in Kherson. First, the week in brief. In the face of fierce Ukrainian resistance, Russia appeared to scale back its war ambitions. Its defence ministry saying that the first stage of its mission had, quote, generally been accomplished. It said it would now concentrate on, quote, liberating the two self-proclaimed republics in the Donbar region on the Ukraine-Russian border. That is some way short of its stated aims at the beginning of its invasion, which included the, quote, denazification of Ukraine, i.e. toppling its government. In his nightly address, Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said his armed forces had delivered, quote, powerful blows against Russian forces, dealing them, quote, significant losses. The Pentagon reckons Russian forces are no longer in full control of Kherson, the first big city they captured, after a counter-attack by Ukraine. The site of heavy fighting, the city is now, quote, contested territory, it said. America said it will supply the European Union with more liquefied natural gas to reduce the bloc's reliance on Russian energy. It will send an extra 15 billion cubic metres of LNG in 2022, equivalent to around 10% of what the EU imports from Russia. But the plan was light on details. Plants and ports in America are operating near capacity. Building new facilities will take time. Emmanuel Macron said France would join Turkey and Greece in an effort to evacuate Mariupol, where more than 100,000 people remain trapped. Mr Macron, France's president, said the operation would be coordinated with Ukrainian forces. He promised to discuss it with Vladimir Putin. About 300 people died when Russia bombed a theatre there last week, according to city officials. Some 600 are thought to have survived the attack. President Joe Biden visited a Polish town less than 50 miles from the Ukrainian border on Friday to see firsthand the scale of the emerging refugee crisis. More than 3.6 million have fled Ukraine since the war started. America has pledged to accept 100,000 Ukrainian refugees and put $1 billion towards humanitarian aid. Just seven Ukrainians were resettled in America in the first half of March, according to Reuters. Other news. America cancelled talks with the Taliban in Doha after the militant group reneged on a promise to allow Afghan girls to continue attending school, a State Department official said. Joe Manchin, the Democratic senator for West Virginia, said he planned to support Katanji Brown-Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court, all but assuring her confirmation. The International Monetary Fund approved a $45 billion debt restructuring programme for Argentina after more than a year of negotiations. 
America and the EU reached provisional agreement on a deal that would allow Europeans' data to be stored in the United States. Unsurprisingly, America's tech giants attacked a new technology law unveiled by the EU meant to stoke competition among firms in Europe. Word of the week. Ruskimir. The Russian world. A previously obscure historical term for a Slavic civilization based on shared ethnicity, religion and heritage. And correction. Thursday's edition of Espresso said that Zanichi is the Korean term for Koreans who migrated to Japan after the latter country colonised the Korean peninsula in 1910. It is in fact the Japanese term. The Korean is J Il Gaiopo or J Il Dongpo. Sorry. And now, here's today's agenda. Escape from Mariupol. After four weeks of fighting in Ukraine, Russia's army has made much less headway than may have been expected. The exceptions are in the south and east, most significantly around the port of Mariupol, where a siege is strangling a city of 350,000 people. Russia's tactic in the city appears to be to deliberately target civilian infrastructure and cut access to water, electricity, gas, the internet, emergency services, medical supplies and increasingly food. With no humanitarian corridor to speak of, and with conditions worsening rapidly, desperate locals have been risking their lives under artillery fire to make it to safety. Those who flee the port face a 230-kilometre journey to Zaporizhia, the first big city in Ukrainian-controlled territory. The most fortunate travel in soot-covered cars, often with bombed-out windows. The rest trudge on foot with whatever belongings they can, keeping their heads down and trying to avoid anti-tank mines. By invitation. Andrei Kozarev on Russia and Ukraine's future relations. This is an excerpt from a guest essay by Russia's former foreign minister. The strength of Ukraine's resistance and the amount of Western support it receives will determine how Vladimir Putin's war there ends. Negotiations should be left to Ukraine and Russia without Western interference. Discussion should also commence on what post-war Europe will be like. One of my countries, and indeed the world's great writers, Leo Tolstoy, believed that nations with higher moral resolve win in war and so they do in peace. The end of the conflict, which will come through negotiation, will provide both Russia and Ukraine an opportunity to conduct needed reforms. A Mounting Kingdom's Oscars entry On Sunday, Bhutan's 700,000 people will root for their country's first nomination for an Oscar for international feature film. Lunana, a yak in the classroom, was submitted for consideration last year but was rejected. At the time, Bhutan did not have an official selection committee. 
The film follows a diffident young teacher from Timpu, Bhutan's capital, who wants to pursue a singing career in Australia. Instead, he is sent to a school in the Himalayas where his dilapidated classroom houses a yak. Eventually, his students win him over. Pao Choning Dorji, the director, was disheartened by the number of young people, quote, leaving Bhutan, wishing to seek happiness in Western countries. The setting of his film is a world apart. Mules carried food and filming equipment to Lanana, a village with no electricity. The crew suffered with altitude sickness. It took eight days of trekking to get there. From Lunana to Los Angeles, it has been an, quote, improbable journey, notes Mr. Dorji. Cricket riches. Pack it or pack it. The Indian Premier League, which begins its 15th season on Saturday in Mumbai, is the most lucrative competition in cricket. Kagiso Rabada, a South African fast bowler, will receive $1.2 million for playing at most 17 matches over two months for the Punjab Kings, a fortune compared with the average salary of $150,000 provided by his national team. But for some, even that is not lure enough. Two English batsmen, Jason Roy and Alex Hales, have pulled out, forfeiting contracts worth a combined $465,000. Both said that long periods abroad were bad for their mental health. Mitchell Stark, an Australian fast bowler, opted out this year, saying he did not want to spend a lengthy period inside the secure, quote, bio-bubble demanded of players to reduce the spread of COVID-19. The Cricket Monthly has calculated that the most in-demand cricketers play 90 to 100 days of international cricket a year, even before tournaments like the IPL. That is a tough slog. Weekend Profile Alp Toka, chronicler of Ukraine's embattled internet. Wars produce heroes of all stripes and the battle for Ukraine is no exception. As well as shelling cities, Russia has attacked Ukraine's communications infrastructure. As a result, Alp Toka, a 38-year-old Londoner, has found his tiny firm NetBlocks is suddenly in great demand. NetBlocks scoops up remotely collected data on internet performance, identifying outages and other disruptions. Taken as a whole, Ukraine's connectivity has been less badly damaged than feared. Of all the devices that were connected to Ukraine's internet on the eve of invasion, only 22% have gone dark, and some of these will have belonged to the nearly 4 million people who have left the country. Repair crews and even techie volunteers making DIY fixes are working around the clock to patch up disruptions. And Ukraine has an unusually large number of internet providers, which means there are fewer choke points. As for Russia, authorities there are clamping down on internet freedom. They are introducing more single points of failure in the digital architecture, allowing traffic to be filtered with relative ease, a departure from what used to be fairly decentralised internet. Their aim, said Mr Toker, is to quote, internationally cripple the system's topology to better restrict and monitor speech. 
Since the war started, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and a host of news outlets have been banned or restricted. Netblocks locates attacks that knock out bits of Ukraine's internet within about a second. But Mr Toker and his one full-time employee wait before publishing their findings. This allows for additional verification. More important, he hopes the delay hinders Russia from using the information to plan follow-on strikes. Russia is adept at information warfare. Pavlo Sheremeta, a former economy minister in Ukraine, describes its main tactic as, quote, informational blackout and then fake news. The one-two punch, he says, has become standard. Netblock sees, quote, concerted Russian efforts to disable communications at the nuclear sites it attacks or has overrun. These include Zaporizhia, Europe's biggest plant, and Chernobyl, a mothball disaster zone. Mr Toker fears the sabotage is paving the way for Kremlin falsehoods about those sites that will be hard to debunk. Tall tales about a radiation leak could sow panic. Fabrications about the discovery of a secret Ukrainian nuclear weapons programme could soften criticism of Russia's invasion. Were such claims made, NetBlocks would help set the record straight. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Yuzing Zhan, Xi'an, China, North America, Leif Klokovold, Beaufort, South Carolina, United States, Central and South America, Peter Nowak, Lima, Peru, Europe, Isabel Cavaco, Faro, Portugal, Africa, Madeline Wakanakal, Narumoru, Kenya, Oceania, Jennifer Bladen-Clark, Melbourne, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Northanger Abbey, self-help, rubber, let and peppercorn. The theme is albums by the Beatles. Abbey Road, Help, Rubber Soul, Let It Be and Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Sandra Day O'Connor, who was born on this day in 1930. The proper role of the judiciary is one of interpreting and applying the law, not making it. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 